The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is at 5 a.m. right here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. We begin with a stellar start for stocks in 2023 as the NASDAQ does something for the first time in more than 20 years. Well, this could be a good sign for investors and the next 11 months. But it's just not all free and clear. As the Fed takes center stage with Chairman Powell and the committee set to deliver their eighth straight rate hike today. And it is not just the Fed. Things not looking any better in ad tech land as Snapchat delivers a third straight disappointing earnings report. That stock and its peers sinking ahead of the open. Plus, the worst not over just yet for Intel as it puts employee and CEO pay on the chopping block just to save a little bit of cash. And later, how the creators of ChatGPT they're actually trying to fool the artificial intelligence they created. It is Wednesday, February 1st, 2023. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And good morning. I'm Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan. Thanks for waking up with us on this Wednesday morning. Let's kick off the hour with a check on U.S. stock futures right now. Stock futures in the red a bit right now, fractionally lower. The Dow looks like it could open up about 100 points lower right now. The S&P and the NASDAQ both down about a quarter to a third of a percent. This after a stellar start to the year and one for the record books. A few highlights. The S&P 500 it rose more than 6% last month. It's best January in four years, but it's even better for the tech and the tech-heavy NASDAQ coming off a more than 10% monthly gain in its best January since 2001. Key to that rally was the communication services sector. Names like Warner Brothers, Discovery, Paramount Global, Match Group, Disney, Netflix, and Meta. All those names up more than 20% in the last month. And helping the sector see its best month since all the way back in 2002, right after the tech bubble burst. And can't forget about crypto and Bitcoin, possibly one of the best performing assets so far this year. What a turnaround from last year. And coming off its best January since 2013, when it was worth less than 20 bucks a coin. Big rise since then, obviously. Overseas stocks looking pretty hot as well, especially in Germany and Italy, doing something for the first time since the late 1990s. Our Airbnb Gumede has the wrap. Airbnb, you guys partying like it's 1999 over there? <laughs> well, it certainly feels that way, right? February is actually known as the month of love. There seems to be a lot of love going around in this market picture, a lot of green then today. Even if it is only just above the flat line, we did see some earnings news coming out of the likes of Vodafone, Novartis, as well as GSK then uh, pointing to how things should be better. And they're hoping that that Sandoz spinoff certainly helps them as much as possible. But interestingly enough, as you noted, that uh, outlook then in, in the month of January, Europe has certainly uh, posted some positive numbers and some really, really good trading pictures here. The FTSE MIB out of Italy being the biggest gainer then in this market picture. Up at the best month since November 2020 is what that figure really, really does entail. The German DAX, that 8.4 or 8.6 percent for January uh, has certainly helped them also the best month since at least November. So really some positive numbers coming through on this front. Uh, we have always noted that the FTSE 100 may have some leg room headed off from last year. It was one of the better performers across global 
bull markets as well. And now still leading up, even if it is a laggard according to the rest of these, but still moving in that positive territory, which has been fairly interesting. So market picture certainly pointed towards some positivity. The earnings news also helping that picture quite a lot. Of course, what happens then with those yields and the ECB as well as the Bank of England are going to be very interesting. Central bank news still top of the agenda. Frank. Yeah, absolutely, Air Billy. Big day for central banks. Thank you. Always great to see you. Thanks for the latest on the international action. All right, let's get to this morning's top story and a big money mover. Our Silvana Hanau is here with the. Good morning, Silvana. Frank, good morning to you. So shares of Snapchat parent company Snap are sinking ahead of the open after a mixed fourth quarter report that saw little, if any, sales growth over the past year. But the real story dragging the stock lower is Snap is warning its sales may drop by as much as 10 percent in the first quarter of this year as it continues to navigate new Apple privacy policies that have totally upended its advertising model and ongoing weakness in the ad spend space. Here's CEO Evan Spiegel on the call last night. It seems like advertising demand hasn't really improved, but it hasn't gotten significantly worse either. I mean, obviously, the brand spend is significantly reduced, uh, like we saw in the quarter. But our direct response business you know, continued to grow in Q4. And in general, it seems like our partners are just managing their spend very cautiously so that they can react quickly to any changes uh, you know, in the environment. And Frank, it's not just revenue. Snap is also forecasting weaker than expected daily active users for the current quarter, between 382 and 384 million versus the 387 million expected. And even without today's move, Snap shares are down more than 80 percent in the past 12 months. Weakness at Snapchat dragging down industry peers, meta platforms and Pinterest. Meta, by the way, is set to report results after the close today, Frank. So we'll be watching. Yeah, something to really watch. I mean, Meta has been kind of in battle last year, but starting the year up more than 20 percent. Snapchat, we're seeing Mm -hmm. the big dive today, but still up more than 10 percent this year outperforming. So certainly something to watch. Silvana, thank you very much. We'll see you later in the show. All right, turning our attention to the nation's capital. And the developing story we're watching this morning is President Biden gets set to host House Speaker Kevin McCarthy at the White House in what will be their first one-on-one meeting since McCarthy took the gavel. NBC's Bree Jackson joins us now from Washington. Good morning, Bree. So a lot of talk between these two through the media. What's on the agenda today? Good morning, Frank. Yeah, the two are coming into today's meetings with different strategies. President Biden says, you show me your budget, I'll show you mine. While Speaker McCarthy says he's not interested in political games. I'm going to tell him about his further request. President Biden preparing to meet with House Speaker Kevin McCarthy for the first time today. The president's coming with a clear message in mind. Show me his budget. In a memo, White House officials reveal two critical questions President Biden will pose. Will the speaker commit to not allowing the U.S. to default on its financial obligations? And what's the House Republicans' budget plan? The GOP is demanding spending cuts to lift the debt limit, but has yet to provide details. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy says he's coming to the White House ready to negotiate. I think we could find common ground. We could find a lot of savings in the spending of government that saves the hardworking taxpayers their money, but also puts America in a stronger economic position. 
24 hardline GOP senators sent a letter to President Biden stating they'd vote no on any bill to raise the nation's debt without cuts. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell did not sign the letter but says he supports Speaker McCarthy's bargaining efforts. It's not unprecedented to have a discussion about spending in connection with the debt ceiling. Administration officials insist Congress must reach a deal to avoid a default. The president is not going to negotiate or allow the full faith and credit of the United States to be held hostage. Experts warn defaulting would come with serious consequences, such as a recession, a stock market crash, and putting Social Security payments at risk. And White House officials say President Biden plans to release his proposed budget on March 9th. Frank? So, Bray, you just laid out some of the issues if uh, this debt ceiling deal is in reach. How long can these negotiations go on before the country defaults on our bills? Well, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen says that uh, the country will use extraordinary measures uh, in order to avoid uh, a default and to pay the bills. But she says that those tools will only last until June 5th. And so Congress is going to uh, need—they'll have some time, but they will need to act in the coming months. All right. Certainly something to watch. Bree Jackson with the latest in D.C. Thanks, Bree. Great to see you as always. All right. When we come back, recession signals not sending the all clear, not just yet. My next guest gives us the odds of an economic downturn in the next months. Plus, Intel putting CEO and manager pay on the chopping block as it looks to save a little bit of cash. And later, much, much more on Snap's ugly outlook and why catching a falling knife right here, it might not be such a good idea. A very busy hour is still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. We have a market flash for you. Reuters reporting Tesla plans to boost output at its Shanghai plant over the next two months to meet increased demand following those massive price cuts. The automaker plans to produce an average weekly, uh, excuse me, a weekly average of nearly 20,000 units at its Shanghai factory in February and March, according to a memo seen by Reuters. Um, shares of Tesla right now moving fractionally higher. Again, a Reuters report saying they plan to increase production at their Shanghai plant. All right, investors gearing up for the conclusion of the Fed's first policy meeting of the new year. Futures right now in the red, down pretty slightly for the S&P and the Nasdaq. You can see the Dow looks like it could open up about 100 points lower right now. Of course, it's still very early. And the latest CNBC Fed survey showing the central bank is expected to raise interest rates by a quarter point, its smallest increase since it began hiking rates last March. The survey also revealing the peak rate will likely hit just over 5% in April, with just under half of those polled expecting the central bank to start cutting rates by the end of this year. For more on the Fed's decision and the market and economic impact, let's bring in Phil Palumbo, founder and CEO and CIO of Palumbo Wealth Management 
and Beth Ann Bovino, chief U.S. economist at S&P Global Ratings. Beth Ann and Phil, great to have you here. Good morning. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. All right, I think we got to just start with the Fed rate decision coming up this afternoon. Um, do you guys share the consensus opinion of a 25 point basis, uh, 25 basis point hike? And do you believe that no talk of a pause or a pivot is already priced into the market? Or is the market, do you still believe there might be a pause or a pivot? Uh, Phil, you first, please. Okay, so I'm in the camp where the Fed knows that he's in, a, in the red zone, which is a great thing. But investors believe that he's in the end zone spiking the football. And that's the problem that I have. And that's the major disconnect. Investors are acting like he announced quantitative easing in the beginning of January, looking at Bitcoin and high beta stocks flying high like we're seeing today. But the problem is, is, is the Fed and his colleagues continue to tell us the same thing, that they're going to continue to push along until they get what they get. And we're just not there yet. And because of that, this is nothing more than a bear market rally. Beth Ann, you share that opinion? On my end, on my end, I'm looking for pretty much uh, similar to what Phil had said. I'm expecting a, a 25 basis point rate hike uh, this t today. Um, I don't think they're finished just yet. I think they're going to go to five and a quarter. Uh, I don't think the markets have priced that in. And I think the markets are acting a bit more sanguine than the Fed would like them to be. Uh, in our in our mind, the Fed seems to say that they're going to get up to that uh, exit rate and stay there for some time where markets are already pricing in a, a rate hike later this year. I don't think that's in the in the offing at this point time. So, Beth Ann, while you're talking right now, we're showing some of the results of our Fed survey. One question I want to ask you about is, what's your thoughts about a possible recession, Beth Ann? Are we inching closer to it with this rate hike without any talk of a pause or a pivot? Or has that sentiment changed? Because we continue to see relatively strong consumer spending. Um, and, you know, the job market's obviously, you know, very tight. It's not, we aren't seeing those economic indicators of a possible recession right now. Well, what we're looking at uh, in, in our in our forecast, we do see a, a, a very shallow recession uh, in 2023. Indeed, our indicators are su suggesting as much. However, um, one of the one of the reasons why we think it's going to be a shallow recession is one of the is partly the resilience in uh, the U.S. economy and the private sector, both households and businesses, um, have basically shored up their um, their holdings in terms of cash and savings, and that's giving them wherewithal to to continue to spend. Uh, that said, I do think that um, the cumulative rate hikes that the Fed is pushing onto the that cure, which is more, more painful than the disease at this point, um, will eventually uh, push the U.S. into recession. We're already starting to see people start to say, should, uh, search for value, uh, uh, trade down for cheaper earnings, uh, cheaper things. And we already saw some weakness in retail, sale, sale, retail sales uh, mm -hmm. in December. We think that'll continue into the year. So, Phil, you share the opinion that we're, we're on the brink of at least a mild recession. And if we are on the brink of a possible recession, even if we're not, what stocks are you looking at right now is the best play right now today? So this whole talk about a recession is really getting challenging, right? So if you think about everything that the Fed has done today, everybody would have thought and looking at all the indicators and the regular playbook that we're all used to, we would have thought today we'd be in a recession, if not over the next quarter or two. The problem is, is that when you have a tight labor market like we have, consumers have money to spend. If consumers have money to spend, it's very difficult to go into a recession. And I think that is the other disconnect about what's going on. Listen, if we have a recession, then that means markets will get cheaper. And me as a long-term investor for my clients, that's an opportunity to buy stocks of great businesses on the cheap. What I like specifically today is I think Google really has come in at a great price point, a forward multiple of 18, growing more than the S&P. That's where the S&P 500 is right now. The free cash flow yield is one of the most attractive yields for Google I've seen in a very long time. Return on investment capital is very strong. We know it's down because of advertising spend. And that may continue in the short term, but but as a long-term investor stepping in on Google, 
like that very much. Also, Nike. I think Nike on a reopening trade of China. Nike also has a pretty good free cash flow yield for that company. Return on investment capital is, is fantastic. Um, right now, it's trading below fair market value for us, about 15 to 20%. So I like Nike on a reopening China trade, trade as well. So I want to ask both of you this, and Beth Ann, if you don't mind answering first. Uh, the Fed seems committed to getting inflation down to 2%. We're a ways away. It's about 5% away from where we are right now. Um, as they continue to, to at least try to battle inflation, what do you think that Jerome Powell can say today that will give the markets some comfort? Uh, we know, obviously, a decision at 2 o'clock. But after that, what can he say that give people the, the confidence to put their money to work back in equities? I don't think – I think that the, the Fed's job right now is to – Basically, stable and stabilized prices. Uh, the the jobs market is incredibly tight, and I would go back to that point about the jobs market. Indeed, the job market is incredibly tight. That is providing the resilience for the U.S. economy. Um, however, that's also causing a problem for the Fed. When you look at wage gains, which now I guess in December they were at four and a half, four point six percent in December. Maybe they'll stay about that. Maybe they'll go a little bit lower. That is it, but that is double what the historic rate is for average um, average wage gains uh, on a year over year basis. A big problem for the Fed, particularly since inflation is outpacing those prices. And so that's a concern for the Fed. I think what the Fed's going to say is that, well, um, we're going to stick for the long haul. And and I think what they're, unfortunately, it might not be a comfort for the markets, but I think that I think Chair Powell is going to say uh, that we plan to get to the exit rate and stay there for some time. That seems to be where the disconnect is between markets and the Fed. Phil, I'm going to give you last word. We've got to get going. But is there anything that Jay Powell can say? Listen, the Powell wants the market to go lower because the wealth effect, the wealth effect to dry up demand. And that's what the Fed needs. We've seen the job labor market creating demand and the stock market performing the way it is. That doesn't help the Fed's overall motivation and, and goal of bringing inflation down to 2%. But ultimately, this is healthy for the economy. Getting back to normalization, the Fed fund rate should be at four and a half to five, five and a quarter, right? Because if we go into a difficult period with the economy, then the Fed has room now to bring rates down. So, it, it, you know, this is welcoming everything the Fed is doing. And this is the point that I think everybody is missing. All right. Phil Palumbo, Beth Ann Bovino, we appreciate both of you for being here. We always appreciate the insight. Thank you very much. All right. Still on deck here on Worldwide Exchange, a celestial sighting, 50,000 years in the making. Apple bets big on Major League Soccer and the creators of ChatGPT. They try to fool their own AI, your top trending stories when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at t now. And welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your big money movers. First up, Electronic Arts. See, shares are down more than 10%. Shares slipping after the company missed on revenue and said it expects bookings to be lower than previously expected. The video game maker also announcing they're delaying a new title and killing off the mobile versions of two popular games, which is expected to result in layoffs. Next up, Western Digital. The chip maker, as you can see right now, also down about 5%. Shares dropping on quarterly results that beat revenue estimates but fell short of earnings due to a loss that included $100 million of charges related to hard drives. Its chief executive telling shareholders the company is facing a challenging flash price environment and continued cloud inventory digestion. And lastly, Match Group. Shares sliding after the company missed on revenue and revealing an earnings miss of $0.30 cent per share loss 
Match noting that the first quarter revenue will also likely be lower than expected, though management did say they've made what they call corrective challenges and they feel that they're gaining momentum in 2023. All right, let's get a check on this morning's other headlines. We turn to NBC's Francis Rivera in New York with the very latest. Good morning, Francis. Good morning, Frank. The nation will mourn with Memphis today. The funeral for Tyree Nichols is scheduled for later this morning. The 29-year-old man's violent arrest in Memphis has led to grief and outrage across the nation. He later died from his injuries. Reverend Al Sharpton will deliver a eulogy at today's ceremony, and Vice President Kamala Harris will also be attending. Much of the South is frozen over this morning. The freezing rain and sleet snarling travel and causing dangerous driving conditions. At least three people were killed. Nearly 3,000 flights were grounded Tuesday, and so far this morning, nearly 2,000 are already canceled. And the threat continues today with more winter weather on the way. All eyes in the NBA are on LeBron James as he pulls closer to league history. With 28 points in a win against the Knicks, James moved within 100 points of the all-time career scoring record set by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in 1989. LeBron is now 89 points away from reaching the lofty mark of 38,387 points. So his next chance to inch closer to Kareem is tomorrow against the Pacers. Many reasons to cheer for him then. Frank, those are your headlines. Send it back to you. All right. Thanks a lot, Francis. Great to see you as always. All right. As we head to break, watching shares of the one-time buy-now-pay-later giant affirm, the stock already down more than 70% in the last year. And as you can see, down a percent and a half again this morning. The company's exclusive contract with Amazon expired yesterday, inviting at least the possibility of more competition at checkout. A firm will continue to offer its services to Amazon until at least 2025. All right, much more WEX coming up. Stay with us. Gearing up for the Fed's latest rate decision as we kick off a new trading month, the central bank expected to another, another albeit scaled back, rate hike, futures pointing lower. Uh, shares of Snap getting sapped down dramatically on the back of weak revenue and digital ad figures. We dive into those results and what they could signal for Meta as it prepares to report. And seeking a solution to the debt ceiling dilemma, President Biden and Speaker McCarthy trading barbs ahead of their first big meeting on the matter. It is Wednesday, February 1st, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And good morning. I'm Frank Collin in for Brian Selvin. It's right around 5.30 a.m. here on the East Coast. And here how, here's how the U.S. stock futures are shaping up at this hour. We're seeing some red across the board. The Dow looks like it could open up about 100 points lower. The S&P and the Nasdaq, both about a third of a percent lower, of course, very early in the trading day. This, after a record-setting start to 2023, the S&P 500 rising more than 6% last month and then having its best January in about four years. But it's even better for tech and even better for the tech-heavy Nasdaq, coming off a more than 10% monthly gain. And its best January since 2001, following the tech bubble bursting. We're seeing the Nasdaq right here and its chart year-to-date. Um, also want to take a look at the bond market ahead of the conclusion of the Fed's policy meeting today. Yields right now, we're seeing the benchmark 10-year at about 3.477. you got to remember, that's about 40 basis points lower than we started the year. Still seeing that inverted yield curve, trying to point it out here and there, um, something that we often considered a recession indicator, something we continue to watch. We also want to hit oil. WTI hovering just below 80 bucks a barrel. Right now, we're seeing it sitting at 79 bucks a barrel, up fractionally this morning. Brent crude at 85 bucks a barrel, up fractionally as well. Natural gas up a percent. 
Quick check on Europe. Latest read on EU inflation coming in this morning for January, showing a drop for a third straight month, but still hitting a stubbornly high 8.5% on the year. Inflation here in the U.S. at about 6.5%. All right, let's get a check on some of this morning's top stories. Our Silvana Hanau is here with those. Good morning again, Silvana. Good morning again, Frank. Well, Intel making new cost-cutting moves as it faces a slowdown in demand. The company announcing it has made a has made broad cuts to all mid-level employees as well as executive pay. Now, the move comes a week after Intel issued a lower-than-expected sales forecast driven by a loss of market share to rivals and a PC market downturn. CEO Pat Gelsinger will take a 25% pay cut, but it should be noted, the cuts affect only base salaries and will not reduce bonuses and stock compensation that makes up a significant part of top executives' overall pay. And the recent slide in Intel shares not being felt by fellow chipmaker AMD, its shares popping ahead of the open after fourth quarter results topped expectations. But AMD did stress it expects revenue for the current quarter to fall below analyst estimates, warning of a 10% decline in year-over-year sales. The Justice Department is reportedly looking at deals struck between Visa and PayPal. According to Bloomberg, the inquiry by the DOJ's antitrust division is centered around an agreement the two companies struck years ago. Under that deal, Visa was able to stop PayPal from pushing customers to pay with their checking accounts instead of debit and credit cards when using PayPal's digital wallet. And the U.K. formally laying out plans to increase regulation of the crypto industry and some of the practices that led to the collapse of FTX. The government proposing measures aimed at bringing crypto asset businesses in line with more traditional financial firms. That includes a move to strengthen rules targeting financial intermediaries and custodians that store digital assets on behalf of clients, Frank. Silvana, thank you very much. All right, turning our attention now to social media stocks and shares of Snap. They're plunging on the heels of yesterday's Q4 earnings. The company beating on earnings but missed on revenue and daily active users due to what the company says is the rapid deceleration in digital advertising growth. The outlook for the next quarter, not looking any more promising. With the daily active users forecast between 382 million and 384 million, missing the analyst estimates of 387 million. The company also predicting it will see a revenue decline of up to 10% year over year because of weaker demand from its brand advertising business. Snap sinking other social stocks in the pre-market, including Meta Platforms, which will be reporting its earnings after the close today. Joining me now to discuss, Daniel Flax, Newberger Berman Senior Research Analyst, and Sarah Kunst, Clio Capital Managing Director. Good morning to both of you. Great to have you both here. Good morning, great to be with you, Frank. So, Sarah, if you don't mind, let's begin with you. Um, you know, of course, we're seeing Snap fall double digits after a bit of a disappointing earnings report. And really, the guidance is what's sinking the stock. But year to date, we've seen a lot of confidence in Snap, despite its decline this morning, still up 10 percent outperforming. And you look at Meta up 20 percent to start the year. What's given investors so much confidence in these social stocks? And does Snap's report and what we might see in Meta's report, do you see that changing the landscape? You know, unfortunately, I think in these stocks, the the confidence might be a, a bit uh, misplaced. You know, the reality is that 
that social media, you know, has has changed and, and Snap just seems to not really be able to catch a break, right? A lot of the problems here, advertising aside, are just due to the fact that, you know, it hasn't stayed super relevant. A lot of their older customers are, are using Instagram more. A lot of younger people are using TikTok and, you know, they're trying new things like a subscription business, but that's tiny. It represents only, you know, 0.5% of daily active users. So, you know, I don't see, barring some big product innovation, how they're going to find kind of a sustained growth trajectory that the street's going to love anytime soon. So, Daniel, it sounds like Sarah's saying that Snap's about to go to way of Friendster. Is there anything that could save Snap at this point? Because she's bringing up some great points. So much competition from TikTok and Instagram offers many of the same features. I think Snap is going to have to transition uh, its business more effectively as we think about this next part uh, of the social media uh, evolution. Um, They've clearly continued to innovate in key areas like augmented reality. But the industry is shifting to to more short form video. Uh, Clearly, competition remains intense. And they also need to improve their tools uh, for advertisers so that on that side of the platform, uh, there, there is value to be realized. And so they're, they're cutting costs. Clearly, cyclical headwinds are a factor there, but uh, it, it is going to need to, to re-architect parts of its platform, uh, remain valuable to advertisers, and of course, continue to evolve the user experience to, to see a rebound in growth. So that, that'll probably take a little bit of time. All right, Dan, I'm going to stick with you on this. So you're mentioning innovation, reworking the platform and things like that. Um, we've seen Meta, not this year, but last year, kind of get hit for really focusing on what they believe might be the future of the company, AI. What are you expecting from the report today and also their, their spending when it comes to AI? I think we'll see that the, the, users, uh, uh, the user numbers remain quite healthy overall. They're, they're clearly being impacted by, by some of the cyclical headwinds that, that everyone is facing. I think the bigger story there in terms of trying to leverage artificial intelligence, both in their core uh, for social platform to to drive better user experiences in areas like short form video and then for advertisers on the other side uh, to to drive a a better signal so that advertisers get value in an era where privacy is a much bigger focus. The bigger story or or, or longer term story uh, around this shift to the metaverse and and really uh, with uh, AR and VR devices, that's going to take some time and might also require a shift in the business model. So, Sarah, uh, what, do, what do you think about uh, Meta's chief technology officer uh, blogging just a bit and talking about focus, what the company's focused on? Do you believe that Meta is focusing in the right areas or do they need to change their focus? I don't think they're focusing in the right areas. And the street has certainly not that, thought that over the last year. You know, the reality is that that very few people are spending their time getting excited about a metaverse where we can barely have legs, right? Um, you know, people want to see the street. And I think even, you know, Boz, the CTO at Meta, people want to see the, you know, f- Facebook and Meta, they want to see them focus on what they do well. They want to see, you know, creating social network products that allow people to connect with, you know, their friends and people they want to follow and and not just sort of running around building, you know, copycat features, things like reels, you know, for that that sort of tries to rival TikTok. You know, they've tried that with with Snap, with everything. They're always copycatting and and they're also, you know, just not focused in the face of an, an increasingly complicated advertising, you know, landscape where it's really hard to sell ads. And, and at the end of the day, that's their core business, you know, building a product people want to be on. And, and it doesn't feel like they're really doing great at either of those things right now. And so, yeah, there's some rallies, just, you know, I think technical rallies after the the losses of last year. But 
I just think the earnings are really going to start to tell the story of are they focusing or are they forgetting that they were one of, once one of the most valuable companies in the world? Yeah, I think we're going to find out after the bell. So before we let you guys go, we want to get some stock picks. Daniel, we're t- hitting on the challenges. Where do you see opportunities when it comes to stock and tech? I see opportunities in uh, in so in, in the in the broader internet. Uh, so if, I, if we look at Google, I think search, while it's being impacted by cyclical headwinds, it's durable. YouTube, I think we'll see improving growth. Uh, later this year. We like Amazon, uh, even as e-commerce is moderating, uh, uh, given some of the economic uh, headwinds. We think the Amazon Web Services, their cloud platform remains uh, a very attractive asset. And I'll, I'll round it out with NVIDIA, which is a leader in artificial intelligence, where we see a lot of growth over the next several years as AI is applied to areas like healthcare for drug discovery or for, uh, financial services for fraud detection. So a lot to like in the technology sector, in our view. Sarah, what names do you like? I like Palo Alto Networks. You know, cybersecurity is a huge concern with everything from crypto ransoms and, you know, global tensions with with tech and hacking superpowers like North Korea and, you know, China, Russia, but also because of layoffs. Disgruntled tech employees can cause a lot of problems for for a lot of platforms. And so, you know, that's a name I'm watching. And then the other one is Microsoft. You know, we'll see what happens with this Activision deal. But, you know, I think that the CEO there is making smart moves with investing in things like ChatGPT. And, you know, I think it's a well-priced tech company with a sane CEO. And that's not easy to say right now. All right. Daniel Flax and Sarah Koontz, thank you so much for being here. We appreciate the insight. All right. Still ahead here on WAX, coming to the table for a potential solution on the debt ceiling. Our Kayla Tausche joins us for the preview of today's big meeting between the president and the House Speaker and whether or not a deal can actually get done. But first, as we head to break, some of your top trending stories. Apple launches its new streaming service for Major League Soccer today. Fans can buy an MLS season pass for 15 bucks a month or 99 bucks per season. Apple striking a 10-year deal worth at least $250 million a year to stream the MLS games, which previously aired on ESPN and Fox. The maker of ChatGPT unveiling a tool to identify text generated by artificial intelligence amid concerns the technology will be used by cheaters and others. But OpenAI says the tool isn't just good enough on its own, failing to, to detect bot written text about 75% of the time. And don't worry, call it a stellar sighting 50,000 years in the making. A rare green comet is passing by the Earth. Its closest approach is tonight in the Northern Hemisphere, about 26 million miles away from the U.S. Optimal viewing will be once the moon sets after midnight. Worldwide Exchange, we're back in a moment. All right, a lot of look in New York City right now. We're all here gearing up for a big day on Wall Street, a couple miles south from Rockefeller Center that you're looking at right now. And we've got several economics reports of note, weekly mortgage applications, ADP employment, ISM manufacturing data, and the latest JOLTS report. We're also awaiting earnings from Meta Platforms and Peloton. OPEC Plus begins its virtual joint ministerial monitoring committee meeting in just a few minutes. We're also, of course, keeping an eye on the Fed, who will be out with its first policy decision of 2023 at 2 p.m. Eastern. On deck, keeping the market strong to start the year, Credit Suisse's Patrick Palfrey joins us to lay out the bold case for stocks to keep their momentum going this year. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange or Brian Sullivan, check us out on Apple, Spotify, and other podcast apps. And Wex, we'll be right back. Stay with us. All right, welcome back. Time now for your Wex wrap-up. Six stories you may have missed as we close in on the 6 o'clock hour. More than one million protesters sitting in the streets across France over President Macron's plan to increase the retirement age from 62 to 64. Macron calling the move vital for the viability of the pension system. 
Kathy Wood's ARK Innovation ETF notching its best monthly performance since being launched back in 2014, gaining nearly 28% in January after plunging 67% in 2022. Wood will be on Squawk Box this morning at 7.30 in a first on CNBC interview. Reuters reporting citing a company memo. Tesla plans to boost output at its Shanghai plant over the next two months to meet increased demand following those massive price cuts. And shares of Electronic Arts sliding after the company missed revenue expectations and issued a bit of a weak forecast. The video game company also announcing its delaying an anticipated title and killing off mobile versions of two popular games. Chipmaker Western Digital also falling after the company beat on revenue, but it fell short on earnings. The chipmaker also tempering revenue expectations for the current quarter. And Bitcoin posting its best January since 2013 when it was worth less than 20 bucks. The price of the cryptocurrency gaining nearly 40% in the past month. I guess the crypto winner may be over. All right, time now for a look at the action coming out of the White House, where President Biden will welcome House Speaker Kevin McCarthy later today. The two set to sit down and begin talks around extending the U.S.'s debt ceiling. Our Kayla Tausche joins us now from Washington with much more on what to expect out of today's pretty big meeting. Good morning, Kayla. Good morning, Frank. This afternoon, President Biden and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy will hold their first of what's expected to be many meetings over the debt ceiling, which will be officially breached sometime this summer. In a recent memo, the White House says President Biden will be seeking two assurances from McCarthy, one, that McCarthy's party won't flirt with a default, and two, that McCarthy will reveal his budget demands. A GOP aide says what McCarthy wants is a commitment from President Biden to negotiate and that his budget to be released in March will be a guide. After all, Republicans say President Biden led negotiations for six plus months in 2011 during a debt ceiling crisis seen just as contentious as this one. As part of that bargain, then Vice President Biden was eventually able to secure an immediate $400 billion borrowing increase, followed by a dollar for dollar increase in exchange for more than $900 billion in cost cuts. The so-called super committee focused on deficit reduction. Eric Cantor, who as House Majority Leader in 2011 negotiated with President Biden, tells me the talks then were productive, saying, quote, the Biden commission in 2011 produced over $1.6 trillion in savings, and some might claim even more. Success was evident, he says, in later years when those cuts in savings ended up paying for some of the erosion of the sequester and new spending. Ultimately, though, those talks fell apart, forcing a debt downgrade, a drop in consumer confidence, and a spike in interest rates before a breakthrough with the Senate, leading some Obama-era officials to say that wasn't worth it. Frank? So, Kayla, this isn't President Biden's first rodeo. You mentioned back in 2011 he brokered uh, negotiations then. Is there anything different about the meeting today and the, the meetings that are going to follow? Well, Frank, for starters, back then the debt was only $14 trillion. Now it's more than double that. But advisors to the White House say two things in particular are influencing its stance. Number one, the slim majority in the House and the half dozen times Republicans have raised the debt ceiling in recent years. Taking the issue to the brink has also had a cost. The Government Accountability Office estimates the 2011 debt downgrade has cost the U.S. an additional $19 billion in interest. So trying to avoid that this time around. So, Kelly, we also just got some breaking news crossing just a short time ago that the Biden administration is taking new steps to limit fees on consumer oriented products. Do you have any sense of exactly what they're targeting? 
Well, this time around, Frank, they're targeting late fees on credit card payments. Previously, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau had tackled overdraft fees and trying to cut down on what it said were junk fees, essentially banks getting, uh, you know, too frequently issuing these overdraft fees when, you know, the money was in someone, another account that the consumer held. And they say that the banks are, and credit card companies are doing, taking similar action with late fees, that if, if a consumer or a borrower is just a few hours late in paying their bills. Sometimes they could get hit with a fee of up to $41. And today, the CFPB is going to be publishing a rule that caps those credit card late fees at $8, a significant discount. Of course, they're going to be taking comments from stakeholders. And you can imagine that the financial companies don't like this. Frank? Uh, yeah, I would imagine that. Our Kayla Tausche, live from D.C. Thank you very much, Kayla. All right. The stock market is doing exactly what investors hoped it would do to start the year. Wall Street hit the quote-unquote January indicator trifecta. The Santa Claus rally, the first five days early warning system, and the January barometer, all of them logging gains. The S&P 500 gained 0.8% during the Santa Claus rally period, which includes the last five trading days of December and the first two sessions in January. The index also up 1.4% in the first five trading days of January, which can signal continued bullishness for the rest of the year. Keyword can. The January barometer, or as goes January goes the year, means if the S&P rises for the month, it may predict a positive return for the next 11 months. Well, it rose 6.2% for its best January since back in 2019. But with worries about recession and the Fed still on an inflation watch, will these indicators bear out this year? Let's bring in Patrick Palfrey, co-head of quantitative research and senior equity strategist at Credit Suisse. Patrick, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. All right. So we laid out these historic precedents, the January barometer, the Santa Claus rally. Um, of course, all these things were kind of established before the pandemic in our post pandemic world. Do you believe these are reliable indicators? And does this mean we're on track for a really strong 2023? Well, I think 2023 and for that matter, October through the end of 2022 were an incredibly strong period for stocks. And really what that reflects is the expectation that inflation is going to continue to fall and that the Fed is going to pivot. What's interesting, though, is this year the flavor of that rally has shifted. We've seen more speculative assets. So what I'm looking at is companies that were the most sold off going into the start of the year have had the strongest rebounds, companies that have the highest volatility profile. That, that profile is one of a speculative move forward in the market and one that we typically see coming out of recessions. It's actually only mirrored by uh, events in 09 and 02 and 01 when we were bouncing out of a recession. So the health of the rally is really led by speculative assets. I think longer term, it's more problematic for this to continue, given a lot of the headwinds which you mentioned before, such as a decelerating economic backdrop and, and still inflation on the horizon. All right. So, Patrick, we're looking at futures right now. Um, the Dow looks like it could open up about 100 points lower. The S&P and the Nasdaq also in the red. Of course, this comes off, as we just mentioned, a really strong January. What's changing sentiment all of a sudden? What a difference a day makes. Is it simply anticipation of this Fed meeting later today? Well, I, I think we're going to get a, a refresher from the Fed here. And I think what the Fed is going to remind us is that they're going to stay engaged. It's interesting that we've had a mantra for the last decade of don't fight the Fed. And the Fed is telling you that they want to tame inflation. Surely we're seeing inflation fall. And goods inflation, for example, is in free fall. It's going from 12% this time last year to 3% now. And that's really driving a lot of the decline that we're seeing in inflation. That said, the wage uh, wage inflation remains problematic and the labor market remains 
really tight. So I think the Fed is going to indicate that they are going to remain engaged until they see something that is much lower than what we have here. And the market is not ready for that after the month we've seen in January. So you're saying the market's not ready. So exactly what is the market ready for? We've seen, like again, a very strong January, but a lot of apprehension and tension about a pause or a pivot, even though the Fed hasn't given any signals that they're going to do either one. Um, number one, do you believe in the consensus of a 25 basis point hike in today's meeting? And what do you think is going to be the response? Is that already priced in? Yeah, so when you look when you look at what the market's expecting, they're expecting 25 basis points this meeting, and they're expecting another 25 basis point hike. So I, I expect that that's largely priced in. So the move itself, I don't think, is going to be all that surprising. And I think the Fed has indicated that they are that they remain data dependent, so they're going to slow as inflation slows. What I think though is going to happen is we're going to reach a, a point later in the year, uh, probably closer to the end, where inflation remains sticky. So right now, inflation's falling because goods inflation's falling. The price of oil, the price of everything that we purchase at the grocery store or other items. But services inflation remains sticky. And, and that's a big, uh, it's a big component of that is driven, lab driven by labor. And that remains problematic because the labor market is incredibly tight. So as we get to the back half of the year, probably perhaps into October, we're going to see a, a dilemma that the Fed's going to face is can they or have they solved the wage inflation? And if not, then the re-engagement there is going to be problematic for stocks. And we expect a, a sell-off if that happens. All right, Patrick, you know we like to keep score here on Worldwide Exchange. What's your S&P target for 2023 and how much has it changed over the last couple months? So right now, our S&P target is for 4050, which is a little bit lower than what we have here. We think the rally that we're in right now has the ability to continue throughout the first half of the year, and that's been our expectation. Volatility is falling. Credit spreads have come in an environment that is really favorable for risk taking, and the market has really responded favorably to that. I think, though, as I, as I laid out a minute ago, I think the concern that the Fed may need to reengage in the latter part of the year or the fact that recessionary risk, which I, I think a lot of investors are calling for a soft landing, but recessionary risks right. haven't really been taken off the table. I think those are going to be a headwind for the market as we start to approach the latter half of the year. And, and as a result, we think we end lower from where we are now. All right, uh, Patrick, I want to run something by. We just got a tweet from Jeffrey Gunlock just a second ago. Uh, I'm going to read it to you. I want to show it to the audience mm -hmm. as well. He said, I suspect Fed messaging tomorrow will push back against the pivot narrative and thereby Current bond market pricing uh, should be interesting. I had to correct myself. This was actually late last night, but we're just catching on to it right now. Um, I'm going to read it one more time. I suspect Fed messaging tomorrow will push back against the pivot narrative and thereby current bond market pricing should be interesting. What's your opinion on Jeffrey Gunlock's take? Look, I, I think I largely agree with Jeffrey Gunlock. I mean, right now, the Fed has the credibility that they need to fight inflation. And any ground that they give in that conversation could just further fuel inflation. And it's a very delicate balancing act to tackle inflation because part of it is something that gets in the ether, in the water, and they need to ultimately stamp that out. So they need to walk the line until the moment they stop. And they've indicated they're not stopping right now. So I expect them to maintain that line as long as inflation remains problematic. And like I said, we're not out of the woods. There's many factors, such as wages, that are going to be a problem for the Fed down the road. All right, Patrick Balfour, we appreciate the insight as always. Thanks for being here. All right, before we let you go, I want to take one last look at stock futures right now. They are in the red right now. The Dow looks like it could open up more than 100 points lower at this point. The S&P and the NASDAQ both fractionally lower as well. And that's going to do it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Coming up, Squawk Box. Thanks for watching. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only 
on CNBC. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.